I was <clears throat> never more motivated to learn Spanish than on the flights home when Christina and I would take teenagers to Spanish-speaking countries on mission trips. Because I had just spent a week being talked about right in front of my face, and I had no idea what anybody was saying. There was one trip in particular that we took to Honduras, uh, to Mission Lazarus, where several of you have been. And we were helping this small village build a church building. A, a group had gone in and poured half of the foundation, and we came in to pour the other half and then to start building up the walls. And so I was on concrete duty the whole week. And there are these, <clears throat> excuse me, there are these two guys who lived there in the village who did the majority of the concrete mixing. And so we don't have this big, like, electric or even gas-powered mixer. We have human muscle-powered mixers. It's these two guys with shovels that just, uh, they would haul in the cement bags, they would pour the water, they would add the, the gravel, and they would just stand there mixing and mixing and mixing. It's this, this really intricate uh, work of art, really, that mixing concrete was. Um, and so I was on their team for the first half of the week, and my responsibility was to make sure they had all the supplies ready when it came time to mix. So I was filling buckets with gravel, or I was hauling water. I was doing kind of all the labor work while they stirred the concrete around. But one day, a guy just handed me the shovel and pointed to it and was like, you do it. And then they just left. And I was like, where are they going? And so for about an hour, I was there trying to do it, and I've got water going everywhere, and people are bringing loads back, and they're like, this isn't working. And so finally they came back, and they're kind of standing there watching me do this, and they're just talking to each other and laughing and kind of pointing, you know, and I'm like, come on, guys. Um, and so I needed to know, what are these guys saying about the gringo who can't mix concrete? Uh, but it wasn't just that. The second half of the week, I was helping a guy dig basically a ditch around the building. And he and I, I mean, we had to dig like a 20-inch deep ditch that went all along the side of this big church building. And so it was like back-breaking manual labor, just shoveling and shoveling and shoveling. But as we shoveled together, we kind of built this rapport and got this relationship going. And, and we couldn't really talk, so we would just like point and grin and, you know, spent a lot of time like, como se dice, shovel. You know, like we spent a lot of time doing stuff like that. And, but by the end of the week, I was, I was a little bit sad to leave him because he felt like this friend that I had made. Um, and so there's a part of me that wants to be able to communicate. You know, I, I, I want to be able to, to tell a person, hey, I think you're nice. I like hanging out with you. You're a swell fella. I want to be able to say that in a way that is understandable. And so I had all of these uh, motivations for learning Spanish. And in fact, this one, that, that particular year, when we landed, I'm searching like Rosetta Stone. I mean, I was going to do it. And the next year, I was going to go back. And I was going to hold off for a couple of days and not really let people know that I spoke Spanish, you know. And I was going to listen to what they were saying. And then on like Wednesday, just drop the bomb. And no, I can speak Spanish, everybody. And it was going to be awesome. But I never did it. I never learned it. Um, there is a way in which that language barrier provided a protective relational layer. Um, what I mean by that is that language barrier that prevented us from actually communicating deeply, 
Man, I never once had to learn the things about him that annoyed me. You know, I never had to learn the things about him that I disagreed with. I never had to find out from him what might actually cause a relational fracture between us. We could just smile at each other and go, shovel. And so it was actually quite easy to develop this sort of community feel whenever we didn't have to get deep down into the ugliness of ourselves. So that, rela- or that, that uh, language barrier built this sort of relational layer of protection between us. Um, what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks as we go through the book of Acts is that building a community where everybody is welcome to participate in what Jesus is doing is really hard work. Um, It's kind of a common phrase that Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock, Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock are the most segregated times in our country. That This is the time where all the white people go to one church, all the black people go to another church, all the Hispanic people go to a church, all the the Korean people go to a church, and and we we have ourselves kind of segregated out on Sunday mornings. And I don't believe that that's because we're inherently racist. I think it's because it's just easy. Um, it's a whole lot easier to assimilate with people who look like you and talk like you and live like you, dress like you, smell like you. I mean, like all the things that are like you, it's a whole lot easier to be in community with those people than it is to be in community with people who are different. And So building a Jesus community, creating a Jesus community where everybody is welcome, it takes a lot of hard work. And that's ultimately what I think the story of Acts is about. It's about the fact that this thing could have never gotten off the ground if not for the work of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit was the driving force behind it. The Holy Spirit was the reason that this community was even able to get off the ground. Because with everything that the church had going against it, um, coming together relationally was something that required this supernatural level of interaction from God. And so today we're talking about the beginning of that, how the whole thing started. And it took place at Pentecost. Pentecost was this Jewish celebration in which they uh, remembered the time that God gave the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. It was the giving of the Torah. And the emphasis, which I found kind of cool, the emphasis is actually on the giving, not the receiving. It wasn't the time that the Israelites received from God. It was a time that God gave them something. That was the emphasis. And it happened once a year. It was one of three um, pilgrimage festivals. So people came from all over the place to Jerusalem. Or if they couldn't make it to Jerusalem, they went to one of the main hubs where people could worship, where there was a large temple area to worship and to make this celebration happen. And so people from all over the place were in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, to celebrate the time that God gave them the law. And it's uh, during harvest season. And so food was involved. There's a lot of eating. There were a lot of food sacrifices. And it was just this real, like, festival atmosphere. 
And so that was the reason all the people were together in the first place. And Luke set the stage for what was going to happen all the way back in the beginning of his gospel. Everything from uh, the first moments of his gospel all the way through the end were sort of leading up to this moment. This is the climactic moment in Luke's story of, of both Jesus and the church. Pentecost is this turning moment, but it started all the way back with John the Baptist in chapter 3. It says in verse 15, everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. And John answered their question saying, I baptized you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so already this moment is, is coming. And then at the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus says, And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. So Jesus spelled it out for him. This is happening. This is coming. Wait here, and something amazing is about to happen. And then again in the opening stories of Acts, Luke records it again. Once, when Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift he promised you, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then again in chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus has laid out for them, This thing is coming. This thing is happening. Get ready because it's on its way. And in keeping with Old Testament tradition, not just with Pentecost and the giving of the law, but this is also in line with the stories in which uh, a teacher, a rabbi, a prophet, somebody who had a disciple or a follower imparted their spirit into their followers. You remember Moses did this with Joshua. Uh, Before Moses died, he imparted his spirit to Joshua. Remember the story of Elijah. When Elijah was taken up into heaven, he asked Elisha, his uh, disciple, what do you want before I die? And Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. So as as, as Elijah was taken up into heaven, his cloak fell. Elisha ran and grabbed it and got a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And so in keeping with that tradition, here is Jesus saying, I'm going to impart my spirit to you after I'm gone. And the whole point of imparting your spirit to somebody is so that they can continue what you've been doing, so they can continue what you've already started, so they can continue this work that's been going on that they've been watching you do. And so the disciples are ready. They're ready to receive from Jesus, just like Elisha received from Elijah, just like Joshua received from Moses. So here's the story. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to to Judaism. They're all saying this, by the way. Uh, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. 
And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Um, technically, this morning, according to the liturgical readings, I was supposed to cut that off before the last line. But I included it for a reason that I'll get to here in a minute. Um, again, this is a pilgrimage moment. This is a moment where all the people have come to Jerusalem to celebrate the day that God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments and the Law of Moses at Mount Sinai. Pentecost was actually a 49-day process. It started the second day of Passover, and it extended all the way up until this celebration. It extended seven weeks. In a way, it's like the mirror image of Lent, because the Lent season spans seven weeks leading up to Easter, or the Passover time, um, and Pentecost spans the seven weeks after. So it's sort of this mirror image of Lent. But every day has its own celebration, and of course, like all things do, it, it's taken on different uh, traditions and customs over time. And so it's hard to pinpoint exactly what Jesus' celebration, or what, what the disciples' celebration might have looked like at that time and in that day. But there are a lot of people who, uh, they read the book of Ruth, during the, these 49-day periods. There are a lot of people who, on the first day of Pentecost, they stay up all night long reading the Torah because the day that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he had to go down and wake the people up. And so as an act of repentance, they stay up all night long reading Torah. Um, there are people who, at some point during Pentecost, have a dairy-based meal. I don't know exactly what that entails, but milk is involved. Uh, but there's this dairy-based meal and in celebration and recognition of the fact that after giving the people the law, he promised them that he would deliver them to this land flowing with milk and honey. And so there's this awareness that God is leading us somewhere. God is doing something in us. So there's all these different ways of celebrating the Pentecost. Again, it's kind of hard to nail down exactly what the people would have been doing on that day and in that time. But the reason it's called Pentecost is because it happens at the end of the 49 days on the 50th day. So the number five, Pent, Pentecost. That's where the name Pentecost comes from. It's laid out in the book of Leviticus chapter 23 in pretty good detail, but then it's also explained again in Deuteronomy chapter 16. And in Deuteronomy chapter 16, it says this, Count off seven weeks from when you first begin to cut the grain at the time of harvest. Then celebrate the festival of harvest to honor the Lord your God. Bring him a voluntary offering in proportion to the blessings you've received from him. This is a time to celebrate before the Lord your God at the designated place of worship he will choose for his name to be honored. Celebrate with your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites from your towns, and the foreigners, orphans, and widows living among you. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, so be careful to obey all of these decrees. The reason I read that part, and not the part from Leviticus that lays it out in excruciating detail, is because I want to emphasize the fact that this was a celebration for everybody. Everybody is to be part of this. You and your spouse, your children, your, your sons and daughters, your grandchildren, every foreigner living among you, everybody from everywhere, come and celebrate the wonderful things that God has done. Pentecost was a celebration for everybody. And so here in this moment, the Holy Spirit fills the house and everybody hears the good things that God has been doing in their own native language. So just as Pentecost was for everybody, this moment of, of the revelation of God's Spirit and the indwelling of God's Spirit, this moment is for everybody. Um, there's this moment of wind and fire and, and those two elements are common throughout Scripture. I'm sure you can probably rattle off a handful of stories at least where you know of, of wind and fire appearing or at least one of those elements. 
And they both carry a lot of symbolism and a lot of weight, especially depending on what, what time period you're talking about and what, what's going on in the time that people were writing. But wind and fire both carry a lot of symbolism and a lot of weight in Scripture. Wind is especially, um, it, it's especially in the context of new life, of, of breathing life into you, of breathing breath, of breathing air into you. That's what wind does. In the Old Testament, that's ruach, the spirit. It's the thing that comes and creates something new. Fire is lots of things. Fire can be the presence of God, but fire is also this purification, this way of not just giving you life, but refining this life into a very particular kind. And so there's this new creation, and there's this fire. Fire was also a symbol for Torah, for the Hebrew people. They believed that that was uh, the, the symbol that they gave for, uh, for God's law. And so there's this new Torah being handed down. There's this, this new life being breathed into the, the scriptures and the customs and the traditions. Something new is happening, and it's for everybody. That's what's going on at Pentecost. Um, this is the first time in scripture that the phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, is used about anyone other than Jesus. Only Jesus, up to this point, had been filled with the Spirit. In all the other times, especially in the Old Testament, whenever it talks about the Spirit moving or acting, it acts outside of somebody. It carries someone. It delivers someone. It, it does something outside of another person. But this is the first time that the Spirit actually filled up someone other than Jesus. And so uh, with that, it was, uh, it was this sharing of Jesus' Spirit again, but not just with a handful of people, but this is with everybody. And Paul even goes on in all of his writings to talk about how being filled with the Spirit is the mark. That's the way that you know somebody is a follower of Jesus because they've been filled with the Spirit. And then there's this list of the nations, which I love. And I love that it's as though someone is actually saying this. Uh, kind of going around the room, like pointing, like, and you're from Jerusalem, and you're from Samaria, and you're from, you know, and, and there's just this rattling off. Those things are never accidental. In scripture, when you read like a genealogy, the names that are included in there, they're on purpose and they're in there for a reason. It's not just marking off something. It's not just filling up space. It's not just to show that, hey, look, people were from all over the place. No, there's, there's very specific reasons why this list was included and why people were named specifically from here. Parthians are the first one on the list. And at the time of, of this telling of this story, at the time that people would have been sharing the story of Acts, the Parthian people were the biggest threat to Rome and the Roman Empire, both economically and militarily. And so the first name on the list is Parthians. There are these people here from Rome's greatest enemy, and they're here receiving this. The Medes and the Elamites were actually both ancient kingdoms that were no longer active, possibly not even around at the time. And so there's these Parthians who were here in the present moment doing something and, and, and fighting against empire. And then there are these two kingdoms from the past that are no longer even doing anything, no longer even active. This is spanning not just space, but also time. This is covering lots and lots of things with the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And it covers regions in Judea, Asia Minor, North Africa, and especially Rome. So people from that entire region, like as far as you could possibly walk at that time, it's all covered. And so there's people from everywhere. But these are all Jewish people. 
Um, these are all the people through whom God is beginning his work. These are all the people who are taking this moment, this outpouring of the Spirit, to the places where they live. Um, It wasn't just for them, but they were the conduit through which the kingdom of God was being inaugurated through the church. And I think that that's really important. Um, Because sometimes it's really easy to take hold of something that God has done and hold it for ourselves. Um, Sometimes it's really easy to say God is blessing us without assuming that God is blessing all people and turning blessings outward. Um, Sometimes it's really easy to assume that I am at the center of God's kingdom. Sometimes it's easy to assume that our church is at the center of God's kingdom and all things about the kingdom of God rise and fall with whatever is happening here. But what he's saying to these people, these Israelite people who have for thousands and thousands of years believed themselves to be that very thing, the very center of God's kingdom, he's now saying, you are no longer the focal point of what I'm doing. You're now the one taking it somewhere. You're now the one going out to do something with it. Um, Again, we're talking about Acts over the next several weeks. And the series of teachings we've, we've kind of titled Creating a Jesus Community for Everybody. And once again, that's really hard to do. Um, it's really hard to do because sometimes you find out that you did a really good job of welcoming someone, but now you don't really like them, you know? Or you find out that, man, me and that guy or me and that gal, we get along really great. But, oh, I didn't know they thought that. Um, You're doing well, you're trucking along, but then all of a sudden somebody, like, moves away. And, And all of these things happen that affect how welcoming, how receptive, um, how open we are to people who don't look like us, to people who actually make community hard. Um, and, and so, again, creating Jesus community for everybody is not, uh, it's not just this idealistic thing. It's this actual blood, sweat, and tears work that we're invited to do as a church. Um, our, our Jesus community here at Crosswalk, I think, is a, a unique one. Um, a month or so, a couple months back, we sent out this survey and just asked you to answer a handful of questions about what is it that makes Crosswalk unique to you? What, what brought you here initially? What made you stay? You know, what's different about this church versus others? And again, as I've said before, the, the responses were just uh, overwhelmingly encouraging and exciting. And it was exciting to see the number of you who go, Crosswalk is a place that's open to anybody. Um, Crosswalk is a place where everybody is made to feel welcome, where everybody belongs. Um, Authentic relationships kept coming up, a spirit of openness. And so all of these things uh, came out in the survey, and and as a leadership team, we've used those to kind of refine and and figure out a a good, solid identity of who we are as we're moving forward. Um, So there's that, but then there's also a reality. Part of the reason that I left that verse there at the end about, um, you know, the people just thought the disciples were drunk. Because not everybody was on board with this thing. Um, Some people were observing what was going on and they went, man, those guys are sloshed. 
And they, they kind of went about their day and it didn't really affect them. And so I think that there is a reality um, even to what we hope to be the ideal. So the ideal is every single person who ever walks into Crosswalk goes, this is the greatest place on earth and I'm never going to leave and I love it and I'm just going to move in my house here and I'm just going to live here and these are my people and I love them. Like that's the ideal. But the reality is relationships are really hard. Um, Over the course of the last several weeks, some of us from our leadership team have just been throwing out a question randomly to people. Do you feel connected at Crosswalk? And the handful of people that I've asked that question to have all, hands down, given the exact same answer. And that answer is a pause. Do you feel connected at Crosswalk? There's this sense of like, yes, but then I could also say no. Um, I love it, but at the same time, sometimes I leave going, I felt weird today. Um, These are my people, but at the same time, I don't think I know any of them. And so there's this weird, like, yes, this is the ideal of what we're aiming for and what we're striving for, but then in the reality of it, um, does it always happen? Maybe not. Um, and so I, I think that in creating a, a Jesus community where everybody is welcome, in, in following this uh, formula from Pentecost, it has to start with the people who are there. It has to start with people who are doing the work. It has to start with them being united around something. And so uh, I, I don't know how all of you would answer that question. And what's, what's surprising to me also is that it's not just you who are fairly new to Crosswalk, who are like, well, I just don't really know anybody yet because I'm fairly new. It's, it's people who have been here longer than I have um, who go, yeah, sometimes I feel it, sometimes I don't. Um, and I, again, I, I think that the, the reality of creating that community, um, we can discover pretty quickly that it's harder than we think. Because it's not just a theological issue, it's a relational issue. Um, it's, it's people. It's, uh, you know, we, we have some good friends that I talk about sometimes who are in Africa. Uh, they're in Tanzania and they do Bible translation. And they've got this whole team of people that they work with. And uh, they're living out in these remote areas in Tanzania and they go into these villages and they learn the village's language. And then they figure out how to translate the original Greek and Hebrew text into this language. Um, They're the smartest people I know. Like, by far, the smartest people I know. And one of the things that they often talk about that is the hardest part of the work is getting along together as a team. They can get along with the people in the village. They can do the work. The work is exciting and fun. And especially when they're ready to publish something, uh, that's, that's exciting. But then when they go back to their homes at night, and have to sit down together uh, just to do something as simple as share a meal, it's wild how much that derails what they're doing. Um, Because a community where everybody belongs is hard, and it takes a lot of work. One of the things that we've recognized as a leadership team is that at Crosswalk, we can do a lot better. Um, We can do a lot better to make people feel like not only that you're welcome and wanted, but also that your voice is heard, We can do a lot better to make sure that people uh, walk in here and go, these are my people. This is where I go. This is where I belong. Um, And again, I think that that starts with us. We've 
done a lot of things in the past to, uh, to try and build up community with people. And in a lot of ways, I think that we do some things really well. In the church at large, we read all the time about how the millennial generation, you evil, evil millennials, uh, the millennial generation is just, yeah, back at you, is just uh, flooding out the church, you know, in droves. Um, but at Crosswalk, that's a, an overwhelming percentage of who we are. And so we feel like we have some things that we can offer folks. Um, and we've done some things uh, throughout our past that, that even go beyond this, just small groups, something as simple as uh, gathering together in homes on a weekly basis. Those are things that we do to uh, build up and encourage that, that sense of belonging, that sense that these are your people. Uh, we take a break during the summer, but they'll fire back up again this fall. So jump into a small group if you're not part of a small group and find community there. We've taken the initiative to, to do on a regular basis some sort of meal or potluck time. And as we announced a long time ago, whenever we first started these up, um, this is on purpose. This is to provide some space because we're only here for like an hour on Sunday mornings. And so if this is your only experience of seeing people at Crosswalk, that's not that long. And especially if you're like a family and you're chasing kids afterward or something, it, you can often feel like, man, I, I've been there, but I haven't really been there in a long time. And so we're trying to create these spaces where you can actually be there and be present. Um, so we have potlucks, we have celebrations. Our pool party this coming Saturday is one of those things. Come and hang out, come and just be together with us and, and have a shared experience. On Wednesdays, starting this coming Wednesday throughout the summer, we're going to have a guy's lunch over at Tacos for Life over on Shackleford. So whatever your lunchtime is, come on by and have some tacos with people um, and, and hang out and get to know us. Ladies, uh, you're on your own with that one. It's just for the fellas. Um, although I do understand there's a bachelorette watching party somewhere. Uh, the preacher's wife goes, so you might as well go hang out there. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, it's, it's high time everyone knew. Um, no, um, I just got myself in trouble, didn't I? No, um, one of the glaring struggles that we have had at Crosswalk for a long time is what do we do with our kids? Um, that's, a, that's a question that we ask. I don't know if you've noticed, we've got a bunch of them. Um, and so what do we do with kids at Crosswalk? Because we do a lot of things well, but sometimes if you're a family with children, sometimes you can be like, man, it's just hard to be at church on Sundays. And so that's an ongoing conversation that we have. How do we provide a place for everybody, not just uh, people for whom it's convenient to be here on a Sunday morning, but how do we provide a place where families go, oh man, it's, it's, it's a blessing, it's a joy to be there, it's, a, it's happy to be with our people. I'm actually excited about getting up on Sunday morning and getting everyone dressed so we can go to church. How do we create that for people? And that's an ongoing conversation. Um, and we take incremental steps from time to time uh, to make all of these things a higher priority. One of the things for families is once a month, once every six weeks, we're going to have uh, just a hangout time for anybody with kids. We're going to go somewhere, go to somebody's house, go to Museum of Discovery, go do something where on a regular basis we just get to hang out and interact with each other. Uh, we get to know each other, we get to know each other's kids, things like that. Um, because take, building community requires making space for each other, and it requires dedicating time to each other. In theory, we're all on board with having a community for everybody. But in order to make that happen, it takes a lot from all of us. 
um, it requires a sense of humility across the board. Um, a recognition that, yes, while, while I'm here, while I belong here, this is not about me. Um, this is not about uh, my, my wants. This is not about my wishes. This is not about my own theology. This is, not about, this is not about myself. This is about me being part of something that's for everybody. It's about me doing the work to make sure all people know they belong. Um, the work of making that happen is difficult, and we're going to read through a lot of that through the book of Acts. What happens when people who don't look like us, talk like us, see God like us, dress like us, walk through the doors in the same way that uncircumcised Gentiles wanted in on this new Jesus community? What happens when there's a fracture in relationships and some intentional repair work needs to be done, like between Paul and Peter? What happens when strategically we're not all in the same place regarding where we're going as a church, like when Paul and Barnabas agreed it was better to just part ways? What happens when we're stretched theologically beyond what has typically been our comfort zone, like Peter seeing the vision of food descending down on a sheet? Acts is a story of beginnings, and it's a story of the Holy Spirit's power, but it's also a story of great struggle, struggle of having to figure it out, but trusting that the Holy Spirit is up to something. And trusting that the Holy Spirit is leading us somewhere. So my hope for us as a church is that as we move forward in in time, as we grow, as we expand, as we do more in our community, as we invite more and more people to come and find a place to belong, that we will be a people who reflect this spirit of Pentecost. These people who rally around the wonderful things that God has done. Did you notice that in the reading? that that was the thing that everybody was talking about. That was the thing everybody heard in their own native language, the wonderful things that God has done. Um, I'm, I'm struck by that because it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, a handing down of the law again. It wasn't this revision of the law. It wasn't this updated law. It was that everybody was talking about the wonderful things God has done, and every person in their own way heard it. Um, And so if we're to be anything, we're to be a a community for everybody, but one that rallies around the fact that God is doing wonderful things. That God is doing things that are worth sharing. God's doing things that are worth telling. God's doing things that are worth inviting other people to be part of. And so that's the spirit of Pentecost. Um, And again, my hope is that as a church, we will welcome that spirit and we'll struggle to make crosswalk a community for everybody.